What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Had a great book signing last night at Powell's. I gave a talk about my new book, The uh, Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. You know, I had this conversation with a couple of people during Q&A afterwards that a lot of people just really struggle with, is that we were born into, and by we, I mean, you know, anybody born in the United States after 1870, right? So, you know, which is obviously none of those people are still alive. But basically, we were all born into a country that we were told was a representative democratic republic, but in fact has been a constitutional monarchy. That is to say, the Supreme Court have set themselves up in a role traditionally held by kings, queens, and other nobles in monarchical systems and kingdoms. And, you know, we elect some officials who do some things, but basically at the end of the day, the people who actually control the power, the people who actually define the fate and future, the, the warp and woof of, uh, and weave of, of America, are nine people who are not elected and who serve for life and perform the functions of royalty that were not a democratic republic, were a constitutional monarchy, and the monarchs are the, these nine people on the Supreme Court. And it's like people keep saying, but, you know, somebody's got to decide. Well, yeah, I mean, this was the letter to Jefferson. You know, if, if you don't think the Supreme Court should be able to strike down laws as being unconstitutional or write doctrines from whole cloth, I mean, the Supreme Court literally made up separate but equal with Plessy versus Ferguson in, in uh, 1896 or 1898. And then they undid what they made up with Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. They made up the idea that corporations are persons. They literally created out a whole cloth. They made up the idea that, that money is the same thing as speech. Knocked down all kinds of laws that have been passed by we the people. The Supreme Court, in Jefferson's words, has become the most despotic branch. And people are still, but, but, you know, we really need to have that Supreme Court there in case, you know, some really unconstitutional legislation gets passed. Well, hey, that's happened a million times in the past. Or not, maybe not a million, but. And the court hasn't saved us. I mean, the court has just made things worse over the years in many regards. 
the question at the end of the day is, do you believe in monarchy? In other words, do you believe that we can't really trust the mob, the majority, the rabble, as John Adams used to refer to average voting people, average working people? Do we, do we trust democracy or do we trust monarchy? Do we believe that we have to have nine people who are wiser than all the rest of us who sit in judgment over all this stuff? And I'm with Jefferson on this. I'm in favor of democracy, not monarchy. You know, I toss that out there in the event that you want to have a conversation about it. I'm Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. You're going to hear these names a lot more. These are the two uh, buddies of Giuliani. Both of them U.S. citizens, although one was born in Ukraine and the other was born, I think, in Belarus or someplace around there. And arrested by the FBI at Dulles Airport. They were trying to get on a plane with one-way tickets, no plans to come back. The question is, were they trying to flee the country because they were guilty of things that might land them in jail? Uh, apparently, they committed massive campaign finance violations on behalf of Ukrainian and Russian oligarchs to try to help Donald Trump. So, you know, the answer to that pro question is probably yes, but then the other question is, or, and I suppose it could be an and just as easily, but or were they trying to flee the country because Rudy Giuliani said, you guys need to get out of town because Congress is going to subpoena you and you've got evidence that could lead to the impeachment of Donald Trump. Because they did have lunch with Rudy Giuliani and then hours later they're on their way to the airport. Rather suddenly, apparently. So that's going on. It's an interesting thing. And Michael McKinley, keep an eye on that name, P. Michael McKinley. He was the number two guy under Mike Pompeo. He's a career State Department guy and a diplomat. And he just said, that's it. I'm pulling the plug. Now, he hasn't explained why, but, you know, the, the uh, speculation is rife that the reason he's pulling the plug is because he's just had it. As have so many of our career diplomats, as have so many of our career law enforcement officers, as have so many of our career military. You're seeing in the ranks of all of these areas, People just checking out, saying, you know, I'm going to retire. This is nuts. Trump is not running this country in a way that's best for America. He's running this country in a way that's best for oligarchs, people like Mr. Bonesaw or Mr. Putin. He's running the country in a way that is great with Jair Bolsonaro down in Brazil, who's trying to burn the, the Amazon, or uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, who has shut down their press and taken over all the media or Mr. Duda in Poland, who is rewriting the Constitution, or in the Philippines, uh, Mr. Duterte, who brags about having his police kill people because they're drug users without any trial or anything, and makes jokes about uh, you know raping women and stuff. Those are Trump's colleagues. And all across America, people are just puking on it. It's like, it's enough already. He goes to Minneapolis and holds this, you know, this campaign rally where he's just really, really shouting out the worst to people, trashing Ilhan Omar, making stuff up about Joe Biden and about the Democrats. Oh, in fact, Greg Sargent in The Washington Post, at rally, Trump tells five big lies in under three minutes. He says, we released the transcript of the call, which was so good that the crooked Adam Schiff had to make up a fake conversation that never happened. It was a total fraud. That's a lie. Had they waited one day longer, they would have had the transcript of the actual call word for word. It's a lie. 
They never thought in a million years that I was going to release a transcript. Nancy Pelosi said the day before the scene, the transcript, hey, we got to impeach him. And then she saw the call and she said, called her people. She said to her people, what the hell? Nobody ever told me this was the call. It's a lie. Yeah, Trump says, upon hearing a false story from a whistleblower that had no clue what was going on, that's a lie. And then finally, the do not Democrats believe it should be a crime to have a totally appropriate, casual, beautiful, accurate phone call with a foreign leader. I don't think so. That's a lie. Five lies in three minutes. Donald Trump is beating his own records. By the way, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, the three-judge panel that ruled on Trump's uh, eight years of Trump's taxes going to uh, Elijah Cummings' committee, House Oversight. Two of those judges are just old judges, and one was a recent Trump appointee. And they just ruled that, yeah, Trump's got to turn his tax returns over to the Oversight Committee. But what's interesting is the guy who was the Trump appointee, he said, no, no, Trump doesn't have to do that. And he said, the reason Trump doesn't have to do that is because this is part of an impeachment inquiry, and the impeachment inquiry hasn't been started with a vote of Congress, and therefore it's not even legitimate. Which isn't the law and isn't in the Constitution, right? I mean, he's, he's just, it's, and this is a judge, right? A federal judge with a lifetime appointment that, that Trump just put on the bench. So the other two judges slapped him down in writing. I mean, he was the one who dissented from the uh, decision. This is what they said. The dissent cites nothing in constitutional or case law. And there is nothing that compels Congress to abandon its legislative role at the first set of potential illegality and confine itself exclusively to the impeachment process. Nor does anything in the dissent's lengthy recitation of historical examples dictate that result. Right. So this is where it's going to get interesting. Trump lost, has to turn over his taxes to House oversight, but now he's going to appeal this to the Supreme Court. Well, here's the thing. That court, the D.C. court, and the court below it that kicked it up to the D.C. court both agreed that Trump's got to turn over the, the records. So typically when you don't have two courts in disagreement, the Supreme Court doesn't insert itself. So they may just say, hey, you know, this, we're not going to take this case. In which case, eight years of Trump's tax returns have to be handed over to Elijah Cummings. Also, uh, in about two weeks, the Second Circuit is going to rule on whether the Manhattan District Attorney has the right to Trump's tax returns. And as Mark Sumner points out over at Daily Kos, a brief reminder, he writes, of the five impeachment counts against Richard Nixon, only the last one was a violation of law rather than an abuse of power. That last count was tax fraud. And finally, the Kurds, this is just absolutely terrible stuff. John Haltewanger, writing for Business Insider, just lays it out. The U.S. provided Turkey with intelligence, including surveillance video and information from reconnaissance aircraft that may have aided in its assault on U.S. allied Kurdish forces in Syria, according to the New York Times. And then George W. Bush might be the only Republican president not to have betrayed the Kurds since Richard Nixon. It turns out that George W. Bush did, too. I've got the story right in front of me from The Guardian. It's 2007. Turkey uh, yesterday launched the biggest attack on Iraq since the U.S. invasion in 2003. Again, this is while George W. Bush is president, sending more than 50 warplanes to bomb Kurdish bases inside Iraq. They targeted villages up to 60 miles from the Turkish border. 
The head of Turkey's military said it had U.S. approval for the airstrikes. Quote, America opened Iraqi airspace to us, he said. So George W. Bush uh, t- sold, off, sold out the Kurds to Turkey also. So every Republican president since Nixon has screwed the Kurds. Amazing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Louise and I have discovered recently the powerful health benefits of CBD oil. We've been using New Leaf Natural CBD oil for a few months and love it. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it great for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the without getting high, frankly. Uh, CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand we trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, is grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-Leafnaturals.com and get 30% off and free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to nuleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, nuleafnaturals.com. Go to nuleafnaturals.com. That's nuleafnaturals.com. Congressman Mark Pocan on the line with us, taking your calls. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, as in representative, rep Mark Pocan. And Representative Pocan, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. We've got a bunch of calls all ready to go for you, but uh, before we do, if I may uh, take uh, host's privilege here and ask you two questions. It seems like these are the two biggest and most pressing issues of the day. The point about the Kurds is that they have always, they declared an independent republic in 1945 and declared it using essentially the American Constitution as their base. They have always been believers in secular government rather than an Islamic kind of state like so many of the other countries in the region. And that's one of the reasons that they've been so closely aligned to us repeatedly, even though we betrayed them in 45, we betrayed them multiple times and we're betraying them right now. Do you think that this thing could spiral out of control? Could this be the Archduke Ferdinand thing? How and why Trump is betraying the Kurds and whether it has to do with his making $5 million a year off of Trump two Trump Towers in in Turkey. And my second question, Andrew Jackson, the president whose picture hangs next to Trump's desk in the White House, twice defied the U.S. Supreme Court. The Trail of Tears decision where the Supreme Court said, no, you may not slaughter those Cherokees to create land for plantation owners. And Jackson went ahead and did it anyway. And the second was the, uh, the, the court said you can't shut down the second national bank of the U.S. And Jackson did that anyway. And, you know, and famously said, you know, Judge Marshall has made his ruling, let him enforce it. I'm concerned that if in a dispute between the executive and legislative branch, typically these are adjudicated by the Supreme Court. If Trump goes to the Supreme Court or if you guys go to the Supreme Court and say, force Trump to give us documents and and witnesses and the court says, "Okay, Trump, you've got to do this. And Trump just does what Andrew Jackson does and says, you know, I'm going to ignore you. What the hell happens? So sorry to drop a giant load right in front of you here here with these two (laughs) really big issues. But I'd love your thoughts on those two things. And then then we'll, you know, take the rest of the hour and take calls from listeners. Sure. 
just on the first one, you know, I don't know if I know exactly what the president's motives are. Clearly, I think I've expressed before, I think he sees himself as a reality show star first, head of the Trump Organization second, and president of the United States third. So it very likely could be that relationship with Turkey that he's trying to continue for after he's president. But also, I think he doesn't read. He doesn't study issues. And, you know, unfortunately, I think often, you know, he reads captions on cartoons is about the extent of how deeply he gets involved in issues. And this is one where he just didn't listen to people, thought he knew better. And clearly he was wrong. And everyone, Democrat and Republican, are are disagreeing with the decision he made. But I, I can't specifically address his motives. So the second question, let's put it this way. I think the approach that the House Democrats are taking is different on this one. We're saying if they're going to continue to obstruct which they're doing, and they're saying, oh, if you take a vote, we'll help you, and now we got an eight-page letter saying, no, they're not. I mean, they're never going to work with us, period. So there are some ways that we can still move ahead, because we already have a motive, a crime, a confession, and evidence, so we're already way, way ahead where we were in the Mueller investigation, but Nancy Pelosi has been very clear that we'll just add this to any potential articles of impeachment would be obstruction. So um, he's not going to just get away with it. We can still get information. We still are getting information. We have another whistleblower coming. So I'm not super concerned in the sense that I think this is a different situation and we've got a few other tools, but also, you know, I've just had town halls throughout my district, Tom, and many people are are worried because the president thinks he's above the law. And I think, you know, we're trying to be more creative, and that's why we did a letter to Secretary Pompeo finding a provision, and it's in, in the last several appropriation bills. It says if someone directs someone not to show up, that they can have their pay withheld. And it's happened before in 2016 when the Republicans did it. So we're trying to get more creative in how we can to try to make them do the right thing. But fortunately, whistleblowers are whistleblowers, and we're moving ahead with this, I still think, in a far more expeditious manner than we ever were with the Mueller report. Yeah, and I think your approach is brilliant. I retweeted your tweet where you shared your the letter that you sent saying, basically, Mike Pompeo, as long as he's and I guess Bill Barr, as long as they're, you know, counseling people or refusing to participate with Congress, their pay should be withheld. I thought that was brilliant. Do I have that right? The we, details of it right? Yeah, we just, yeah, whoever directs the person is the person whose pay is withheld, and it's happened previously. And I think the other thing is, and we've had this conversation with folks a little bit, is, you know, when we do criminal contempt. It has to go through the U.S. attorneys, which is what? Bill Barr. So that's not going to happen. When you do civil contempt, it has to go through the legal process. And don't forget, it took Eric Holder almost just one month shy of seven years to get some resolution in a suit they had with him. A lot of the tools that people think we have, we really don't have in a very quick manner, which is why I think we have to start being more creative and being tougher. And that was just one hopefully creative idea we're trying to offer to how we can move ahead. Great. Okay, let's pick up phone calls here. Beth, in Valparaiso, Indiana, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Congressman. You know, I listen almost every week when you're doing this show, and I know that every single week there are Democrats and other independents who call and say, why can't we get our message out better? And you patiently explain things to us, and I appreciate it. But here's my big question for you of today is Tom's been telling us about a $6 million ad buy that Trump's people have done about corruption of the Democrats. Where's our $6 million ad buy from the DNC to counter this? And maybe we could end the ad with every for unity with every single Democratic candidate at the end saying we approve this message. And let's tick off the corruption, just like Robert Reich did the other day in his tweet. we got to fight back, and, you know, we can hire PR people, too. So let's get it going, man. And we've got to make an argument, I think... 
emoluments, I think, should be part of the charges that we file, too. That's part of it to convince America. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. Yeah, so on the first part, I, I'm not sure what the DNC is doing. It is a separate entity than House Democrats or Senate Democrats, so I, I don't know if they have anything planned. I really can't specifically address that. But I can say right now we're winning uh, the messaging battle on this because you look at public opinion polls and they're moving so quickly. And part of why I think they're moving so quickly is while on the Mueller report we knew an outside government interfered in our elections but Donald Trump denied knowing anything and we were trying to get to to see if he was telling us the truth or not um, and he was blocking witnesses. This is a very different situation. Here's another foreign government that he's asking and he's admitted it and he's given us the notes and people can connect the pattern of what's going on so he said he didn't do that but in this case he did and it's the same action and that's why we're seeing public opinion going rick in doylestown pennsylvania you are on the air with congressman pokin here's my question for him regarding the removal of trump maybe it's a crazy idea maybe it's not maybe i'm just not maybe i'm losing it but why couldn't congress hire a security, and then if if he's voted to be removed, then why couldn't they go into the uh, remo physically remove him? Or would that create such an anarchy? It would be, you know, you mean, like, hire Blackwater instead of the yeah, okay. <laughs> congressman. I, you know, I, your thoughts. Yeah, Rick, you're a few steps ahead, I think, of where we're at right now. Um, so I'm sure some people are thinking of all options down the road. But it might make I, a good movie. Yeah, I, I just don't see it happening yet uh, as far as having a problem with the president. I mean, clearly, his language is outrageous. You know, when he talks about treason, a civil war, a coup, but that's Donald Trump. He's a reality show star, right? And he's you know, just being, you know, putting these uh, really terrible terms, trying to keep his base uh, aware of what's going on. But again, I really do have faith in the people. I, I was in the most rural, more conservative corners of my district, and the same issues came up as they did in Madison, Wisconsin, one of my most progressive areas. People don't want someone who thinks they're above the law. They don't want someone to put their own interests over the national security, and people are figuring this out. So we'll see what steps we get to, Rick, but right now I'm not too concerned. Harry in Aurora, Colorado. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, hi, Congressman. I have one question. Do you and your colleagues feel that Trump suffers from any form of mental illness? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't think there's a question that just about everyone thinks that he has some kind of disorder when it comes to narcissism. I mean, this is a guy who always puts himself into the center of any conversation, thinks of himself first and foremost, and doesn't really do what most every other president's done, which is try to unify a nation. Instead, it's all about him and, and, and his businesses and how he's looked at. And, and then he talks about being a very stable genius and a bunch of other things that certainly fall in that column. So I guess I would say there is definitely consensus that this guy uh, is a serious narcissist. We had the professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University. He wrote Bush on the couch and Trump on the couch and Obama on the couch. And the point that he made, the real danger is that Trump is essentially a cult leader. And when cult leaders are backed into a corner, they tend to commit suicide and take as many people with them as they can, whether it was Hitler or Jim Jones or it's happened in politics, it's happened in religion. Dr. Justin Frank is his name. Yeah, thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I mean, my guess is that's why Donald Trump will be glad to throw anyone around him under the bus. But I think ultimately Donald Trump loves Donald Trump so, so much that I don't think he's going to do anything that would hurt himself. But I think, you know, if he throws Mike Pence under the bus, if that would save him. I was thinking about taking the whole country down by, by, by getting into World War III or something. I think there's enough safeguards that that would be very unlikely to happen. Let's hope so. Let's, let's hope so. I mean, that's, that's my prayer. Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the big cheese, no Wisconsin pun intended, of progressives in the U.S. House of Representatives, on the line with us, and uh, Winston in Salem, Virginia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman and Tom, I have a very quick question for you. Is there any plans in the future to create an agency, just like we created the Department of Homeland Security, to create an agency that has arrest powers that will only enter Congress and the Supreme Court. I think we're in a constitutional crisis right now. In, in other words, uh, does is there any anticipation that Congress may take on to itself the police powers that are granted exclusively to the executive branch in the Constitution? That's the essence of your question, Winston. Yes, that yeah. is the essence okay, of my great. question. Thank like, you, Con- we need a separate branch, right? Yeah, thank Congressman. Yeah, Winston, I haven't heard any direct conversation. I'm not saying that there hasn't been. I haven't heard it personally. Again, I think what, you know, we're all experiencing this at the same time, and I, this is the one bit of patience I guess I ask for everyone to kind of share with us is, you know, this has only happened four times in our nation's history, and here we are living through it together in history, and, you know, we may not get everything right along the way. We're doing our very best. People are working very hard. You know, who knew you'd have a, a White House so arrogant, so much thinking they're above the law that they'll comply with nothing, or at least they're saying they're going to comply with nothing. So we're coming up with ways along uh, the route to figure out how to address this. The good news is, in this situation, we have a motive, we have a crime, we have a confession, we have evidence, which is putting us leaps and bounds ahead of where we were with the Mueller report. And I, I think that, that provides me with a lot of confidence that I think we can move forward on this. John in San Francisco, listening on Real Talk 910. Uh, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Congressman Pocan, I really like that suggestion that you guys initiate a withholding pay to the uh, people in the White House. I also had a suggestion along that line. I've said this before, that could we draw up a document which says that anybody who threatens our democracy or our republic can be subject to extraordinary rendition? Thanks for your response. Boy, we're getting some people are really pushing the boundaries here, sir. Yeah. Well, I guess you could try to do anything, right? The question is how enforceable, especially when it's that loose. But, Tom, what's happening is what happened at all my town halls in the last two weeks. And I think what's happened over the last few months on the calls is people are just really concerned about our democracy, right? This is a president who's acting unlike any previous president, Democrat or Republican, who thinks he is so above the law that when he's someone, whoever would think someone would be elected president who said I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and no one would care. And yet now he's trying to prove that he can get away with anything. Um, This is just a new experience. So we're pushing forward. The good news is uh, we learned a few of his tricks during the Mueller report. Uh, His arrogance put him to the point of doing what he did with the Ukrainian president. And now uh, we have a number of whistleblowers coming forward. Uh, This is a good thing. And I think uh, we're finally going to be able to get some resolution. Maureen in San Antonio, Texas. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, I'm on the air because I'm, I'm watching your program and I'm not. Well, There's what about I'm a calling 12 second for delay. is a 
I wanted to, uh, your opinion on a comment I heard by Pat Robinson, who's an evangelical pastor, and he said that uh, Trump could lose its mandate, a uh, mandate from heaven. That's, uh, and I was hoping that that might change the minds of some of the evangelicals who support Trump. Do you think that that's possible? Congressman? Boy, there's a lot of things I've thought were possible that have not come true when it comes to Donald Trump. First of all, Donald Trump, you know, is about as artificial Christian as I've seen, right? I mean, this is a guy who has done very little in his life to show that he abides by any so-called Christian principles, and yet, you know, he's got support because he said a couple key things that are important. And in this case, I think what you're really seeing is some of the where people really want it, they know what he's doing is wrong, but they can't say anything on impeachment because their futures are tied to it. This is, seems to be the issue that's allowed them to vent, because not only is the president doing the complete wrong thing, it, it just gives them that ability to kind of have a unified message on this a little bit. And I think that's what you're really seeing more than anything. I just wish they would take that same um, anger and uh, distrust and, and direct it where it needs to be, which is this president has abused, uh, betrayed his oath of office. And and we need to collectively stand up against that. Yeah. How do you see Trump's bond? Her, her specific reference to Pat Robertson, he was talking about Syria, because the yeah, Kurds right. in northern Syria, and among them live a lot of Christians. Yeah. And yeah. the Syrian Defense Force wasn't just Kurds. It was Kurds and Christians right. in North Syria. And right now, Erdogan's Turkey is crushing both of them, bombing the families right. of both of them. Do you think that that's going to finally shake the evangelicals, or do you think that they're living in such a bubble they don't know what's going on? I think as long as he says he's going to stop abortion, they will come right back in line very, very quickly. Yeah. I've yeah. never seen a whole lot of genuineness or unanimity of thought uh, among um, the so-called Christian uh, right, especially the political leaders, uh, yeah. because they're more politicians than Christian. Yeah, which is really a tragedy. It really is. Yeah. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. For, he's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. We'll be back with more of your questions for him in just a moment. Until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. My wife convinced me there was one that was worth sharing, and well, after a year, I have to say she was right. Louise said once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy, and she's kept it off. My producer, Sean, was so impressed with Louise's results that she's trying Ridgizone, too. Sean wants to lose a little weight before the holidays, and she says Ridgizone is the easiest diet supplement she's ever tried. One capsule with breakfast, and that's it. No jitters, no hunger, no wild food cravings. Sean says meals are no longer a battle not to overeat. She feels full faster and has reduced portion sizes accordingly. She also says she, no longer, she, she feels full longer, so no more grazing between meals, either. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. And that appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Ridgizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Ridgizone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Zone.com, Ridgizone.com. Promo code TOM at Ridgizone.com.
Ronald in Milwaukee, listening on 1510 AM. Ronald, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. I only have one thing to say. I think the Democrats have got to start running ads on TV. I know it's going to cost money. Go after your base. I'll be happy to contribute. Borrow money. But you have to start running ads and educating the American people about what's going on. We are going to lose our democracy. And the dumbass people don't know it and go after his base somehow. And that's it. Goodbye. I would add Facebook to that. Trump just spent a million bucks on Facebook, and, they're, and they've changed their rules in the last three days, as, as Judd Legum has uh, documented, to allow Trump's ads to tell lies, even, even ads that CNN refuses, Facebook will take. As we know, this is one area where they're always going to have more money than us, and it's hard to try to fight back on that issue. So, you know, I think right now we are winning in some of the framing of this. Clearly, the public opinion is going our way. But I don't know if we really solve much of what I, the angst, the very real angst is out there uh, by just saying put something up on advertising. Because right now, all this information is so fresh, you never keep up with it. Yet all this information is exactly what's moving public opinion polls. So at some point, uh, it could very likely happen. But right now, the information is getting out there, and we are on the winning side of this issue. Okay. Lee, in Tucson, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Yes, our entire intelligence community and even the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee has assessed that Russia and other foreign actors have been and are currently actively trying to undermine our election integrity and influence our elections. So we are in a state of cyber warfare. Now, during wartime, anyone willingly giving aid to adversaries is committing an act of treason. Yet Senator Mitch McConnell is single-handedly blocking all votes related to ensuring our election integrity. So why are we not charging him with treason? Yeah, well, I mean, part of it, Lee, I think is there's a legislative process. We have sent the bill, a very narrow bill, to address other countries' involvement to the Senate. And I think the fact that he has got a nickname, Moscow Mitch, is putting real pressure on him to the point that he said he would uh, take the bill up. Now, we haven't seen that action happen yet, and there still is more pressure. And for Republican senators who aren't putting pressure on him, they're going to have to explain why it's all right. So if the public gets involved and calls their U.S. senators, a good chance to get that bill through the Senate. I think something else, if I can, Lee, I think that's important, and I've made this comment through my town halls, is that it does seem like this president has spent the last nearly three years doing everything he can to clear Russia of their involvement in our elections. Again, in this call, don't forget, it wasn't just getting dirt on Joe Biden's family. It was pushing this conspiracy theory that somehow really the, the hacking came in from a server in the Ukraine and the DNC and all this. And it's all because in the Mueller report, the president is so afraid that he is going to be seen as illegitimate because of Russia's involvement. And I think that's something we need to talk about a whole lot more, too, because uh, I, I don't think it gets the same attention as some of these other issues. Rachel in Memphis, Tennessee, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I just wanted to make uh, or ask a quick question and then make a quick comment. I wanted to go back to kind of a basic policy and take a step back from Trump. I would like to know how is it in my interest as a citizen, I'm an ordinary citizen in Tennessee, for us to arm and support basically a proxy war in Ukraine on Russia's border, because I don't see how that is making me 
safer or because, you know, something could happen. And I, I find that pretty reckless. And then also, I'm also disturbed by the Cold War McCarthyite rhetoric that has consumed society over the past three years. I find it just despicable as far as everything Russia and Russian is, I mean, overt xenophobia seems to be uh, totally acceptable in America, and I find that despicable. Thank you. Sure. So, uh, Rachel, to your first part of your question, I mean, Ukraine is an ally of ours, and that's why we have agreements and we provide support in that sense. So that's kind of the short answer to that. To the second part, I'm not disagreeing with you that some people who are automatically just anti-Russia because we've been anti-Russia since Ronald Reagan, I think there's way too much of that. I agree with you on that front. However, it is completely undeniable that the Russians tried to interfere with our elections, and they likely will again, and you can't accept that as an answer. And much of the pushback we've tried to provide is that to that point. The president, I think, largely because he's got a billion dollars to make in Russia from licensing his name, between that and, and not wanting to be seen as illegitimate because he had Russian help, has been doing just the complete opposite of what any normal president would do. But I don't disagree. There are some people, especially on the Republican side, Republican senators, who just want to live uh, that Cold War forever and ever and ever, and it helps feed the military-industrial complex. Although I hope you recognize the difference between that and those of us who are saying no government should be able to interfere in our elections. And unfortunately, Russia did try to interfere in ours. Rich in Mission Viejo, California. Rich, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. I'm glad to talk to you again. And uh, I think Congressman Pocan, is there any way at all that they can charge uh, Mitch McConnell with obstruction of justice? Because basically he's his big backbone. And we have to get rid of Trump. I am so desperate to get rid of Trump. I just, I don't know what to do anymore or what to say anymore. I'm sure there are paths to do it. The problem is right now him just not kicking up our legislation is a little hard to, I think, necessarily justify that obstruction of justice, right? Um, so we, we've passed, I think, 247 bills in the House so far this year. The Republican Senate has passed like 63. The Republican Senate has taken up only 38 of the 247 bills we've given them. So uh, while we have many beefs and we are trying to put pressure on, and ask people to call their senators and ask them to take up whatever bill it is that you care about that they're not doing, I don't know if obstruction through the normal process is necessarily going to work. Now, never say never. We're not sure. This has been the most, uh, I think, unique period of a lot of our uh, lives in watching federal government. But at this point, I think we're still trying to do the pressure through the normal system. And uh, often, um, one house or the other might not pass bills from the other side. And that's the extreme that we're seeing of the Senate Republicans. They're pretty much taking nothing. But uh, often there's some, uh, so to speak, horse trading that happens down the road about what gets taken up. So I, I think it might be a little premature. Tim in Milwaukee, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello. I was just wondering if uh, Trump's two sons, uh, Junior and uh, Eric, if their tax uh, returns could be subpoenaed or requested for some type of emoluments uh, violation. Good question. Um, Tim, yeah, I, I think the, the one issue I would raise is they don't, they're not on the payroll of the federal government, and the emoluments clause doesn't directly relate to them. So perhaps not. Having said that, though, you do raise an issue, Tim, I'd like to, to bring up, which is if you notice the president keeps going after Joe Biden's son uh, about business dealings, 
what have we watched with every single one of the children of Donald Trump? And that's all they've done is go around the globe uh, making money off their dad being president. And yet he doesn't see the hypocrisy in the statements that he's putting out there. So I understand what you're getting at, Tim. I just don't know if the emoluments clause is the right vehicle to do that. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Hey, good day, Tom and Congressman. Thank you both for what you do. Congressman, kudos to you on your letter to Pompeo. The Democratic leadership needs to stand strong and steadfast against this attack on 230 years of the rule of law. The good news, I think, is it's happening now. We can't. We can only imagine if it was closer to the 2020 election and how they would try and steamroll right over the election, regardless of the results. So, my my question to you, Congressman Ari Berman, tweeted the other day that Trump isn't just asking foreign countries to investigate his political rivals, but once again to interfere in our elections. How concerned are you about election integrity in 2020, and does H.R. 1 require hand-marked paper ballots? So on H.R. 1, I can answer that part first. It does require paper ballots, and so does the SAFE Act, the specific bill we sent to the Senate just to deal with outside interference. So it's not as broad as H.R. 1 but it very specifically would deal with outside influence. I do think the one bit of good news I can offer, Jeff, is because we've been through what just happened, we know more what to look for. And I think people have across the board, whether it be the companies that make the machines, whether it be the states that run elections, people have beefed up systems in many cases. Uh, You've got uh, social media now knowing what to look for, which they weren't ready for in the last election cycle. So no matter what, we're in a better position. But also having said that, I don't think that changes them trying to stop doing what they're going to try to do. So we're going to have to be vigilant together when that happens. Omar in Herndon, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Tom. Mr. Pocan, when Nancy Pelosi becomes temporary president, you're going to be a vice president or a speaker of the House. You have to pick one. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's a possibility, apropos of that, do you think there's a possibility that we might have articles of impeachment that uh, include both Trump and Pence at the same time? Or would that just explode the heads of the Republicans because it would lead directly to President Pelosi? I'll tell you, you know, the questions you're asking, Tom, and your listeners ask are what I, I just heard over my, all my town halls in the last two weeks, and I, I told everyone if I could predict that, I would be a headliner in Vegas, right? I, so yeah. I don't know if any of us can really say what exactly is going to happen, because we don't, every day it seems like we're learning more information, more whistleblowers. So I don't have a great answer on that other than right now, I just want to make sure we're doing our jobs and we're moving forward. And right now, I've been very satisfied with the direction of Speaker Pelosi. Adam has, has done a great job, and so has Jerry Nadler and Judiciary. So we're just going to keep plugging forward. Okay. Michael in Denver, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, sir. Hi. Honored to speak to you. My question is, and I have a short comment afterwards. Congressman, I've been hearing about presidents that have been, been set with um, Clinton and with Nixon that they, uh, you know, uh, that the president may not, you know, have to hand over information or go and testify in front of uh, Congress. Is this a huge roadblock? I mean, I'm going to throw away the book of American history because I thought that the Constitution would say this is it. It's in ink and parchment here. And anything that comes out of that, you can debate. But this is still what is the the law of the land. And my, my comment is, sir, 22 years, and I've called before, in the Navy, South China Sea, what I'm seeing is a whitewash of everything. And I have people that 
died in Normandy, and I don't like that, Congressman, at all, what's been going on. So you and the Democrats in Congress and in the Senate and all of us have to get tough and all. I'm ready to punch, the political punch, okay? I don't want the other punches to follow behind. That's what I have to say in my question to you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, Michael, and I'll tell you, that's what I heard in my town halls. And then one of the things I and I'm sure other members are bringing back is people want us to be tough during this because the president's certainly not afraid to break the law. Uh, we need to, within the law, fight back with every tool we have. Specifically, I think you were probably addressing executive privilege. And while that is a reality, it's not enough to really cause serious enough problems for how we're moving ahead. Because don't forget, this we have a confession, we have a crime and a motive, and we have some evidence in the notes that have given to us, and we have two whistleblowers now, and we're continuing to gather more information. So we can move ahead even when the president decides to stonewall us, especially in this case. So we have got a very unique situation, I think, that's going to put us in a good place to move forward. Congressman, your thoughts as we go into this week? I hope, you know, if people are calling 202-225-3121 to get in touch with their representatives, what should they be focusing on? Those kinds of things. Yeah, and this is your last chance to get your member of Congress or the Senate while they're home. Uh, mm -hmm. We all go back next week. Uh, we're going to be taking up prescription drugs and other things in the House. But there's nothing better than a face-to-face -face visit, whether it be at an official meeting or just running into them at an event they're at and have that conversation to their face, make them look you in the eye and say why they don't want to hold Donald Trump accountable. The single best thing you can do with your time in the next week. Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much, Congressman Mark Pocan. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, as always, thank you and all your listeners. Yep, thank you. And look forward to next week. Always great talking with Congressman Pocan. So picture your face in the mirror. See all those wrinkles around your eyes, crow's feet, under eye bags. Now imagine they're gone. And I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I tried it. And now I don't have to imagine anymore. I look like me just 10 years younger. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Go to Plexiderm, go to, excuse me, go to triplexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code TOM. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com. And welcome back to our Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading From Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green. The subtitle, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and the Storming of the Presidency. This is from the afterword, the very last chapter. It's titled Kali Yuga, which in Hinduism is when the earth goes into a phase of destruction. In the shell-shocked aftermath of the election, President Obama, looking shaken, appeared in the White House Rose Garden to deliver public remarks intended to project a sense of calm, a sense, really, that the basic stability of our country remained intact. Sun is up, Obama said. I know everybody had a long night. I did as well. I had a chance to talk to President-elect Trump last night, about 3.30 in the morning, I think it was, to congratulate him on winning the election. End of quote. 
The next day, when the two men appeared together in the Oval Office, it felt as if the world had slipped through the looking glass. Trump quickly named Bannon his chief White House strategist. Republicans controlled every branch of government. With Trump's ability to defy every political norm, anything seemed possible. Who could argue otherwise after what had just transpired? And yet, within days of his inauguration, Trump's White House was plunged into chaos and scandal, from which it has not recovered and may never. Bannon, the imaginative reconceiver of U.S. politics, hung streams of paper listing Trump's promises from the walls of his West Wing office. His strategy, as always, was to launch furious attacks, this time to, quote, shock the system, end quote, and rapidly reorient the federal government in a more nationalist direction. He called this, with what I took to be intentional irony, a shock and awe approach to asserting Trump's power. But Trump's flurry of activity quickly ran into problems. There was his executive order, sprung a week after his inauguration, banning immigrants from seven majority Muslim countries, which set off nationwide protests and was blocked by the courts. His firing two weeks later of National Security Director Michael Flynn for contacts with the Russians. The collapse of his first major legislative initiative, a bill to repeal Obamacare. His firing of FBI Director James Comey and the swift descent of the West Wing into a viper's nest of backstabbing and leaks. This quick turn toward a crack-up was hardly unforeseeable or even altogether surprising, but it contrasted sharply with the success of a candidate who had dominated his opponents, shaped news coverage, and shown himself to be all but impervious to the forces that overwhelm other politicians. Bannon, whose wild gambits in the campaign had invariably paid off, seemed to run out of magic tricks when Hillary Clinton was no longer a target. The government wasn't as malleable to Trump and Bannon's aggressions as the Republican Party and the cable news channels had been, and they found themselves consistently thwarted and undermined by the courts, by right-wing hardliners in Congress, by their own inexperience and Trump's errant tweets, and by the bureaucracy they were now overseeing. The crises these failures precipitated in the White House cost Bannon much of his influence and soon threatened Trump's presidency. While still early in his term, the possibilities Trump's most ardent supporters once imagined for his presidency already seem to be mostly foreclosed. I think there are three main reasons why Trump's administration has so quickly fallen into disorder and confusion. Number one, Trump thought being president was about asserting dominance. Just after he'd locked up the GOP nominations, Trump said something to me that crystallized his view of politics and explains, to my mind, much of his subsequent difficulties. Quote, I deal with people that are very extraordinarily talented people, he told me. I deal with Steve Wynn. I deal with Carl Icahn. I deal with killers that blow these politicians away. It's not even the same category. This, he meant politics. This is a category that's like 19 levels lower. You understand what I'm saying? Brilliant killers. Trump was equating politics with business and the presidency with the job of being a big shot CEO, a killer. He filled the upper ranks of his administration with people of a similar mindset. Gary Cohn, Wilbur Ross, Steve Bannon, aggressive, domineering men accustomed to getting their way by dint of their position. None had government experience, nor did many others in the West Wing. So none anticipated the problems this approach to governing would cause. Trump's self-conception as the all-powerful apprentice boss blinded him to a fundamental truth of the modern presidency, that the president needs Congress more than the Congress needs the president. Trump's domineering instincts serve him poorly, since most members of Congress are secure in their jobs and accountable mainly to their own constituents. And it backfired disastrously when Trump fired Comey after he refused to submit to a pledge of loyalty to his boss. 
Number two, Trump ran against the Republican Party, Wall Street, and Paul Ryan, but then took up their agenda. Populists often struggle to govern, but Trump scarcely attempted to lead the populist revolution that he promised. In May, he told me he would transform the Republican Party into a workers' party. But while he kept voicing populist sibyleths, the legislative agenda he took up was the standard conservative fare pushed by Paul Ryan. During the GOP primary, Trump has shrewdly sensed its weak point, Ryan's desire to finance tax cuts for the rich by cutting programs like Social Security and Medicaid armed the party's white, blue-collar base. Trump told me he'd made this point to Ryan directly. He said, quote, There's no way a Republican is going to beat a Democrat when the Republican is saying, we're going to cut your Social Security, and the Democrat is saying, we're going to keep it and give you more. The book is Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green. Anyhow, John in uh, Colesnack, New York, listening on WBAI. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Before I get to my main issue, I just want to say something here because I'm tired of hearing from Republicans that President Obama didn't do anything. I am a gay man, and I just want to say thank you, President Obama, because he put his neck on the block when he was running for his second presidency for us. No other president ever did that. So I won't go into all the good things he did, but I don't want to hear this nonsense from Republicans because it it is the worst propaganda I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. So what I want to talk about is, you know what? I am not as optimistic as maybe you are. And I am really fearful with the Republican Party as well as the president as to what the future is going to be. And I am worried uh, with a government pension um, that, you know, they can just cut it, decide not to pay because they think they're above the law and I'm going to be out. Um, I'm also thinking whether or not the way things are going, if I shouldn't consider putting some of my life savings into a Canadian bank because I know I'm pessimistic in what I'm saying, but you know what? I've lived a long time. I've seen a lot of things. I don't see people today using a whole lot of common sense, and they're going to miss this democracy when it's gone, but it's going to be too late. I hope you're wrong, John. I I am not fearful, but I am very concerned. And I, I just don't find fear useful. It's paralyzing, as, uh, you know, to, to paraphrase Franklin Roosevelt from his first inaugural address, where he said, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Uh, uh, unreasoning, um, there was another word he used, and then he said paralyzing fear. And, and that's not a good thing. But, but, I, but I get what you're saying. And uh, this is the culmination of a 40-year project that started with the Powell Memo in 1971 of, of oligarchs and big corporations to basically subvert the democratic process in the United States and turn America into, into an oligarchy, into, into a, uh, well, an oligarchy. I mean, this is what Jimmy Carter called it on this program. Um, and, and these oligarchs will stop at nothing. The thing I think is going to take them down, frankly, is you know severe a severe crisis. Whether that crisis is going to be economic, or whether we're going to end up in another war, or what I don't know. Or you could argue, I think, uh, cogently, that we're already in a crisis. But this is why we have to be politically active, John. We have to show up. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is why progressives need to show up inside the Democratic Party and take that thing over. 
Kathy in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Kathy, we have less than a minute here to wrap up the, the week. Tom, okay, let me jump to the. Did you uh, hear about um, on September 24th when protectors for the Salish Sea and many allies from around the region uh, on climate, they erected two tarpies in front of the Capitol. And that evening around 1130, uh, Jay Inslee sent in 70 riot-clad uh, state troopers to remove the tarpies, uh, push the elders around and stuff. Did you know that happened? No, I don't know that that happened. I can't confirm that that happened. And uh, it sounds like, you know, what may or may not be an unfair hit on Jay Inslee, um, and who's a good guy, I think, generally speaking. Thanks so much for being with us this week. We'll be back Monday, same time, same place. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It really does require all of us. And that includes you and your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.